what's going on. Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos, and I'm so excited that you're here. This podcast was designed for you if you are a woman entrepreneur who is incredibly driven and you want to be the one fully in charge of what your business looks like and therefore what your life looks like. We build businesses by design. I am so excited because today you are listening to the Great Eight series. I have dug into the archives of the Biz Women Rock podcast episodes from the past couple of years and literally handpicked, okay, well, not literally, virtually, I guess, handpicked eight of the best conversations that I've had over these past couple of years. Now, I'm bringing these specific eight to you for a couple of reasons. Number one, perhaps they got the most downloads over all of these years. And or perhaps they were just conversations that I keep finding myself referring to, whether in conversation with clients of mine, with women who are asking questions within the Biz Women Rock Facebook group, or honestly, just me remembering things as I go through along my own business journey. And I'm like, oh, I remember on the, on this episode, so-and-so said that, <laughs> which is sort of a long way of saying that there are so many amazing nuggets of wisdom within all of these episodes. And lastly, And really a big, big reason why I wanted to share the grouping of these eight episodes together is because they really embody what my true beliefs about business have become, that you are the one who gets to decide what your business looks like, and you have the freedom and the power to create what that is, and that the business that you're building is all about the inside journey. It is so much about who you are deciding to become and who you are evolving into and tapping into that at every step along the way. And that it's all okay, that your journey does not have to look like anyone else's. With that, I hope you enjoy each and every single one of these eight episodes. Whether you listened to them when they originally came out or this is your first time hearing them, I really encourage you to turn up the volume and listen to the wisdom within. Today's episode will be soul food for you. Kathy Heller and I are discussing the truth about the business journey, not from the vantage point of strategy or how-to, but from the heart. From the space of knowing that you are unique and have a purpose here in this world unlike anyone else's, and how to be on that journey of discovery in the most beautiful way. Oh yeah, we're going deep. Kathy is a creator of the popular podcast, Don't Keep Your Day Job. She interviews very well-known people like Seth Godin, Martha Beck, and Jen Sincero. She's the one who wrote You Are a Badass. And they discuss openly about their lives, their creativity, and their journeys. Kathy is a musician and writes music for TV, ads, and film. She has an agency to help other musicians do the same and also has a course to help even more musicians do it as well. She's a mom of three and full of love. Her seven-figure business was not created overnight though. And during this incredible conversation, you'll hear all about her continuing journey and why it's been a spiritually motivated one. During this conversation, we're discussing why her parents' lack of love and her mother's suicidal thoughts was the impetus for Kathy to seek out why we were put here in this world, how she realized she could create music in her own way without having to be Beyonce, which led her to creating music for TV, ads, and film. 
We also talk about why each of us is an original and our jobs are to figure out our purpose. She talks about how she dealt with the hard blow of a big opportunity that was supposed to be it and watch it completely dissolve. And finally, we talk about what she does to make sure she's listening to herself so she can stay aligned. I hope that this episode is one you'll listen to over and over again every time you need to be reminded just how amazing you are and that you can truly create anything that you want. So here she is, the amazing Kathy Heller. Kathy, I'm so excited that you're here. You are so cute. You're like, (laughs) if Cameron Diaz was also just like the nicest possible friend you could have who encourages you and helps you have the best life, that's who you are. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'll consider that an official endorsement. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're so you're as cool as you are pretty, which is oh. how neat is that to like be that girl who like you can't hate her because she's that pretty because she's that <laughs> nice. She's that cool a human. You're too sweet. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. As a side note, I still have people from my childhood who call me Cameron. So <laughs> yeah. Of course. I am so like jumping out of my skin that you're here on the show. I had the privilege of seeing you on a podcasting panel at Social Media Marketing World. And I don't remember anything about the panel except you. Except the fact that you are like this ball of beautiful love. That is like the only way that I can explain it. Because amidst this panel of people who are talking really great strategy and all that sort of stuff, everything that you said was like a heart-centered answer. Does that make mm. sense? I know you yes. get that. It was very much in line with like, well, let's not just talk the ABCs. Like, Let's get to the heart of what yes. is really going on. Yeah. And I knew in a moment that I was like, oh, I need to talk to this girl. I need to, I, get, I need to get to know her a little bit better. So That's so nice. Thank you for really appreciating what I had to offer. I felt like I definitely had a different wavelength than everybody else on the panel. And I really appreciate that you connected with that and that you saw it as something that was helpful. So thank you for sharing that with me. Well, of course. And I think that that's what makes the Biz Women Rock community so special is that we're not here just for how-to information. That stuff is really great. But we're also here because we want to be really inspired. We want to have lives that our businesses allow us to have that are full and rich and meaningful and powerful. And we want to like use this business as an opportunity to like grow into our best selves, right? With all of the craziness that comes along with that journey. So it's that craziness or that whole journey that I love being able to talk about. So I guess I want to dive right in the middle here, which is where in the world does that passion come from for you? Like, why is it that you speak so passionately and so heart-centeredly, if that's a word, about like living a life that's meaningful? Yeah. Well, it comes from a really big place for me because when I was growing up, my parents were like a lot of people's parents, you know, they weren't happy, they weren't fulfilled, they weren't modeling for me a marriage that was really alive. And they were both really frustrated. And they also both struggled with their own feelings of anxiety and depression. And I didn't even know to call it that at the time. I was just a kid sort of watching this, thinking that this was like normal, that people grow up and they're yelling or they're in bed all day or they don't feel 
good or they're telling you that they're not able to do what they want because dreams only happen for certain people and they're the lucky few. And so I grew up feeling like, oh, well, that's such a bummer. Because like as a kid, you're asked in school, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you watch movies like Willy Wonka, which are so magical and things are possible. And you're all about like aspiration and you're listening to Mr. Rogers say, you can do anything. And then you see your parents saying like, no, 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 no. When you get older, you have to settle and be practical. And life is really pretty un- unbelievably sad. And that's what I saw. And then my parents split up and things got better in some ways because they were fighting less, but worse in other ways because my mom didn't want to live. My mom was like suicidal. My mom was very depressed. She was not able to really function anymore. She wasn't getting out of bed. And the irony was she wasn't that happy in the marriage and she wasn't fulfilled in her own life. She used to take me out to breakfast when I was a child and she would tell me all the reasons why she missed having a career, but she couldn't have a career because she chose to be a mom and like it was an either or. And so I think part of the reason she like unraveled in the divorce wasn't just because my dad left. I think it was because she looked back at her life and she said, what do I have to show for my life? I've been married for 24 four years, it ended. But what did I do then? Because I didn't I didn't do what I wanted to do insofar as I didn't like go after what I wanted. Happiness, I believe, is an inside job. She wasn't making herself happy. She was hoping that her marriage would make her happy or her kids would make her happy. And I think in some ways that did, but ultimately she wasn't fulfilled. And for lots of other reasons, you know, they didn't see each other or help each other grow in the ways that maybe a good couple can. But when I saw my mom that miserable I didn't have at that time other mentors. I didn't have at that time as a little kid books I had written that said, keep going. I didn't have at that time a spiritual practice. I didn't have God in my life. I didn't have meditation in my life. I didn't have other mentors or role models, right? So it was really dark. I mean, you can imagine like you're going to school, you're not sure if your mom's going to be there when you come home. Like that's what I was living with. Really awful. It was like really hard. And so I had a really hard time even going away to college because I was really worried about her. And I used to spend a lot of my time in high school, like just managing her pain and her making sure she got up every day and got out and whatever. But I just decided I had to go away to school. I just had to go away because I had to get away from that little world, which was so dark. When I went to college, I was like desperately seeking meaning. I was desperately seeking answers. Why are we here? Is there a reason for it? And so I became a humanities major so that I could study like sociology, anthropology, world religion. Like I wanted to look into these questions. I wanted to figure out why the heck would anybody have come to the conclusion that we should be on this planet? It seems pretty dark. And that led me to all kinds of cool explorations. And I felt like, oh, wait, okay. I think we're all on this planet because each one of us has a unique role to play. And I'm determined to find a meaningful life. And maybe I can even help other people in the process. What were your first forays into putting that into action? It sounds like making the decision to go to college was sort of that first big decision. Like, I'm going to do this even though I feel like maybe I shouldn't, but I, I need to. But as you started uncovering all of this, like, hey, I have a reason for being here. And there is something here for me. How did you first put that into action? What did that look like in practical senses for you? So, I mean, a few things happened. When I was in college, I was studying lots of different things, Buddhism and world religion and Jewish mysticism. And I was starting to meditate for the first time. And I was coming into my own truth and realizing what was true for me. And I realized like, I did believe that there was 
a bigger picture. I believed in God. I realized I never thought those thoughts. And I was like, wow. And so I started by thinking, well, how could I reach people on campus? Since I went to the school newspaper and asked if I could write a column. I started by writing a column, even though I'm not great with grammar. I just wanted to connect. I wanted to express things. And I wound up working my way up to becoming editor of the school paper. And I went to Florida State. I grew up in Florida. I went to Florida State. And there was a big campus. You know, We had 40,000 kids on campus. So twice a week, I was able to put out a newspaper and inspire people and bring in different kinds of conversations and discussions. And so that was the first thing I ever did to try to communicate and connect and feel more purposeful. And then when I graduated... Well, during college, I did a semester abroad in Barcelona. And that was interesting. And then after college, I decided I wanted to try exploring spirituality more. And I went to Jerusalem. I thought it was just going to be a summer. I wound up staying in Jerusalem for three years. And oh, I, wow. yeah, I became really spiritual. And Jerusalem is an amazing place because people go there to seek. And so you see seekers, you meet Jews, Christians, Muslims, and everybody feels connected to a bigger purpose. And you kind of see the threads of truth. And, and it, it's beautiful when you come to a place inside yourself, when you believe there's enough I know now that I know enough to know there's so much I don't know. And when you come to a place where you just bring in the possibility that there's more going on that you can't see with your own two eyes, when you realize just how much thought, how much writings, how many experiences over thousands of years many people have had and powerful things that have happened and things people have written and you seek truth and you feel truth. You know, when you hear something that's true, what happens is you get this like aha feeling inside. And I think that's not because someone's saying something you didn't know. I think it's because you knew it already and someone says it and it registers as true. So I think that's what happened for me when I was there. And that led me to realize there is so much I don't understand or know, but it was enough to know there's more there than meets the eye. You know, I just had Martha Beck on my podcast recently and she went to Harvard undergrad, grad school, PhD. She's like Oprah's life coach. And she said, we see one trillionth of like the light frequency. Like there is so much magic that you cannot see with your own two eyes. So to believe that just because you don't get it, it doesn't exist. That's cutting yourself off from lots of things that science can't explain. And so she's had so many powerful experiences in her own life. And I've met so many people who are brilliant, like you know Harvard, MIT, Yale graduates who say, you know what? I can't tell you for certain, but I can tell you for certain that I can't tell you for certain because there's just so much magical things in the world. So leaving Jerusalem, I got clear that I think every single person is an original. And I think there never was you and there never will be. So if that's the case, if you've come here because you are unique and you have something to offer that only you can offer, then our job is figuring out what that is. Mark Twain said, the two best days of your life, the day you're born and the day you figure out why. So I felt very satisfied leaving there with lots of questions and at the same time with that as my guide. And that was enough for me to say, okay, how can I now use that and get in touch with my essential self and let it sort of just direct me to doing things that make me feel a sense of meaning and purpose and all of that stuff. Is that how you got into music? Yeah. So growing up, music was my... That was my expression. That was my saving grace. That's what I would do. If I was feeling sad, I'd write a song. If I was feeling happy, I'd put on the radio. Music was always the bridge to feelings and to expressing feelings and to holding feelings and knowing how to feel my feelings. And so I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool if one day I grew up and I could do music? And so 
I moved to LA after leaving Israel and I, I just come here and I'm like, oh, I guess I'm going to set out with this understanding that there must be something unique that I have to offer and I'll get a record deal as if that will just happen. And I got a job is what I got because I had to get an apartment and pay the bills and I didn't have any support. My parents were split up and I didn't have any support financially and I didn't even have a lot of emotional support. But I didn't allow that to stand in my way. I felt like, you know... The only thing we really need resource-wise is our own resourcefulness. Like I don't think it's a lack of money or a lack of time because inside of each one of us, we have these bigger resources like passion, enthusiasm, empathy. If you have perseverance, if you have that, are you going to find the time? Of course. If you have that, will you find the money? Of course. If you find that, will you connect to the person you need to connect to? Of course. So I just trusted that that would work and came out here, got a job, started working on music in my off time. And I did eventually get a record deal at Interscope, which was a big deal. And then I got dropped from the label about three months later. And I thought, Oh my goodness, I guess I'm not going to do music because that was the only thing I thought I could do as a career. And so I left that job and started to think about what else could I do with my life if it wasn't related to music. And I got an interior design... like I got a job in an interior design firm. After that, I got a real estate license. After that, I taught mindfulness to kids and did like a little teacher training program. So you were uh, totally get, exploring. Totally exploring. And after 2 years of doing all these different jobs, I was like... I just remember driving in my car one day and the tears streaming down my face because I was like, you know, I really want to be doing my music and I wish I could find a way to do that and to make a living doing music, something music related. And so I decided to explore if it was possible that maybe there's a way to do music without being Beyonce. And I think this is what people miss sometimes. Like recently I had Seth Godin on my podcast and he said, you don't have to be selling paintings by an agent at Sotheby's down the hall from you know a Vincent Van Gogh painting, you could make an amazing living with a small market of people who know your artwork. And people forget this, but I finally got it that year. I remember thinking, what else can I do with my music? So I believe like what you seek is seeking you. And I saw an article about indie artists who were licensing their songs to TV shows and ads and films. And I thought... I never thought about having my songs in a McDonald's ad or having one of my songs in Grey's Anatomy. I was like, what if I thought about that and how to make that a business? And I pursued it and it worked. Wow. Yeah. I'm sitting here thinking because I want to go back to that concept of how can I do something in music if I'm not Beyonce? And I think literally every single businesswoman has that thought because we all have somebody in our industry who's like killing it, right? Or many, many people in our industry who, yeah. you know, it looks like is killing it. What was it that got that to click for you? That it was like, no, I just kind of need to do my own thing and I need to discover my own unique space here versus thinking that I need to be that or as big as that or compare myself in any way to that. Well, I think that what happens is your body starts to tell you when you're out of alignment. Like first you have thoughts, you don't necessarily listen. Then your body starts to whisper, then it gets louder and louder until you're literally sick because you're not in alignment with yourself. And so when I started to do all these other jobs, I noticed that like, I would get sick. I would get the shingles or I would wind up with pneumonia or I was gaining weight. I couldn't figure out like why I was just not... And I, I one day was driving in my car and I started crying and I said, I'm not being myself. And I remember a teacher of mine saying, imagine if you took a guitar, but instead of playing it, you use the sort of the, the hole of the guitar and you put a plant in there and you use it as a planter, right? Like that, the guitar is not made to 
be holding a plant. The guitar is being made to play it. You know, it wants to sing. It wants to play. It wants to be in a crowd of people who are singing music. And I think that I remembered that. I pulled over on the side of the road because I was driving and crying. And I was like, I need to pull over. I can barely see. I had like sunblock in my eyes from that, the tears. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm determined. There's got to be another way. And I'm not going to just say, well, if I can't do you know, selling out stadiums, I'm not going to do music at all. I got to figure it out. And so I went back to exploring that. And if you ask the right question, you'll be led. And so often it's that we stop asking the right question or we're not asking the right question. We stop asking questions at all or we're not asking the right question. So I asked the question to myself, how could I do music? What are the other ways that I could do music? Now... One thing that people don't necessarily recognize is that the difference between a hobby and a business is that in a hobby, you're doing what you do because it's fun to make pottery or it's fun to make cake pops or whatever. And that's your hobby. And that's great. As soon as it's a business, it's because somebody else pays you for it. So it's got to be about what someone else wants, what someone else needs. And as an artist, I hadn't ever really thought that before. I used to just like go to the studio, write songs, be inspired, talk about heartbreak, talk about whatever, send the songs to the record label and the record label would choose it based on, you know, is it good? Is there talent? But at some point when they don't put the record out, it's because they also realize the same thing. We have to be able to sell this. It has to be commercial, marketable to our audience, to the audience that's going to listen to the radio. And so I think artists need to sort of make a decision. Like, is it a hobby or is it a business? And if it's a business, in that moment, I had already been doing other business. So I realized, why can't I make this a business? What are other ways I could do something with my music? And I remember reading... I started reading Billboard magazine to see like what other businesses artists were in. There's like all, you know lots of different articles in there about different aspects of the business. And and I saw an article about people who were doing music for film and TV. And I thought, I think I'm going to just try to start doing some research and exploring that. you know. And then I looked at from a content perspective, what kinds of content, what kinds of things do I need to create so that they would make money? Meaning this is what people are looking for. What kinds of songs, what kinds of lyrics, what kinds of production, what kinds of cinematic sounds are you hearing if a song is in McDonald's versus in a trailer versus in a movie? And then I also started researching who are these people? Who do I get it to? And then I had a whole strategy of like, how do I break through the noise so I can actually get them to listen? And it worked. And I started to build a business making $200,000 or $300,000 a year writing music and my songs were in lots of different ads and TV shows and trailers and movies. And then the universe starts to steer you and show you what other doors open. And I opened an agency. I started helping other artists. I was featured in like full page stories written about me and Billboard, Variety, LA Weekly, USA Today. And people started asking me like, can you help me do this? And I was nervous that that would hurt my own artistry, but it only quadrupled my own business. I only got more work as my own artist when I started helping other artists. So that myth wasn't true. And then somebody came to me and said, I heard you speak on a music podcast. You should teach a course for people who don't live near you or who you're not already representing to help them get their music business off the ground. I started a course. Then the course did really well. You know, And between my songwriting and my agency and my courses, I was started making seven figures, which was like no joke. And it was crazy life-changing. We bought the big, big house in... Beverly Hills. And then I was having babies and going through fertility treatment for every kid, which is another thing. I'm always like up for the battle. And then with my third kid, I'd already been doing all those other things. And somebody in my course said, you're such an inspiring person. Why don't you create a podcast for all kinds of creative people? And I did. Love that. I know going on that beautiful journey, it's glossing over probably a couple, at least a couple of moments of like, am I on this right path? Is this the right thing? Right? Yep. 
Can you highlight maybe just one of those moments through getting those original deals and building that $200,000 a year business to helping other people breaking like having the the agency and then doing the course. We'll get into the podcast, but like along that journey, can you talk about maybe just one moment of like serious doubt for whatever oh, yeah. reason it was and what happened to make sure that you were then going to be in line and in alignment with what you were supposed to be doing? Yeah, I mean, for everything that I've done that's been successful, there's been like seven or eight things that didn't work. And people don't see that. So we compare our behind the scenes, we compare our mess, we compare our brokenness to the highlight reels of all these people that we see. And that's a problem because it's not even a true comparison. You're not seeing what didn't work. And there were lots of moments like that, including at one point, I had started writing music and I started making some money and I wanted to like still keep pursuing what's my main thing? Like, you know, why am I here? What's the biggest way that I can make an impact and do music? And so I had this opportunity where I was writing music and somebody at Disney passed my songs along to the Jim Henson company. And I had a meeting there and the president of the Jim Henson company, who's Lisa Henson, she's Jim Henson's daughter, and the vice president of the company, Hallie Stanford, we all had this meeting and they said, your music is so great. We want to create a TV show with you as the host. This was in like 2007, 2008. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. Look what my music led me to. Maybe this is my path. This is an incredible thing. And so we shot a pilot and I had the opportunity to work with amazing, not just songwriters, but TV writers and all these incredible people who had done all these amazing things from like The Dark Crystal to Sesame Street, talented, amazing people. And we created a show. And the show was also on another level purposeful because the secret little sauce in the show was teaching mindful tools and tricks and strategies to kids. So like sort of like making muffins, but zucchini muffins. And so like, you know, instead of being like on Sesame Street, there's a letter of the day and a word of the day and whatever. This was more like, and what you wind up taking away is maybe some more stuff to help you find more contentment and well-being and that kids could use that. So here we are making this thing and I'm like, this is it. Wow. It all led me here. And we created the pilot and we went to Nickelodeon and Disney Channel and Sprout, PBS, and people would be like, oh, this is interesting. And they kept asking for more. So we would make more episodes or write more things or add more songs or change a character and they would give us more notes. And three years back and forth, that's going on until finally we try things, we shot it, we reshot it. And we go to every network and we get the answer back from this network, this network. And one by one, like dominoes, they finally, in the end, each said no. After three years? Yeah. Oh my goodness. After three years. And all the while behind the scenes, I was writing my own... I was doing music and stuff, but I was thinking that this will be the big pie in the sky. It'll all come together. And it wasn't it wasn't in alignment with clearly like it either was something that I wasn't really meant to do as my thing, right? It's like I see people sometimes they're running a million miles an hour, but they're running in the wrong direction. So it's like, it's not just enough to have perseverance. You have to not just have the hustle. You have to be in alignment. You have to be in alignment with your work. Like everybody comes to the planet to do something unique. And I do believe that you'll be led to your work, the stuff that it's for you to do. Like don't try to be her or him or this girl. Do your thing. And and yes, it's frustrating because you might have thought you were supposed to do that thing. But if you listen and you get quiet and you do, and clarity does come from doing. So if you do enough and then you listen and you look for clues, it either works or it doesn't. And so I remember at the end feeling really defeated because I wasn't in this moment 
telling you this right now on your podcast, I was in the moment of living it and feeling really down and frustrated. I mean, I had already gotten dropped from a label. So I was like, okay, I guess this isn't it. And that would have been so cool. Not to mention, I had already signed a contract of what I would have made per episode. I mean, it was just like, would have been an instant life-changing experience. And I thought it would make such an impact. And oh my gosh, I have this amazing production company behind me and I'm going to get to do something so special. But the truth is that the whole time I would say to Lisa Henson, I was like, I don't know. I feel like I'm supposed to be talking to adults. Like, I don't know. I don't know if my message is for kids, even though I'm a mom now and I have three kids. I just felt like I wasn't supposed to be doing that. I always knew it. And I just didn't listen. I kept thinking, it doesn't matter. I'll do this anyway. It doesn't matter. So the day after the final person said no, I heard a knock at the door and I... I go to open the door and I there's no one there. And so I look down and there's flowers and there's a card and there's one word on the card. And it just said, believe. It just said, believe. And I brought the flowers in and I saw that it was, it was from Hallie, who's vice president of Jim Henson. She just sent me flowers that said, believe. And I'll never forget it. And I started to cry and I realized here she was the day after saying to me, you better believe. Like, you better believe that you're gonna figure it out. And so instead of, you know, I recently heard something which I thought was so cool. A friend of mine was telling me that when Disneyland was being built, Walt Disney was building Disneyland, he had this huge vision and he almost completely failed. They were over budget, of course. That happens with like any remodel. Imagine building that. They started to go over on how much time it was gonna take. So they almost completely lost the whole project and somebody you know was all over everybody was saying oh it's going to be a, a total disaster oh this guy he robbed everybody all the investors and this and that and he was quoted somebody just told me that he was quoted as saying it's hard to believe that somebody could say that a man who was able to raise 100 million dollars who's now 100 million dollars in debt is a failure and the point of that comment is it's where you look and take the snapshot like he's right. The fact that anybody's on the level of making a mistake like that, they're not a failure because he was able to vision something that was so huge that he could raise $100 million. And so he said, if I had the ability to get to the place where I could raise $100 million and then owe that, I'll absolutely find a way to finish it. Like I'm still that guy. So I think people, we take the snapshots and we make up the stories that we choose to see. But it's so easy to look at yourself and say, Oh my God, look at me. I'm such a failure. It's like, wait a minute. I think Hallie's point of sending me the flowers was, Kath, you walked in for a meeting. We had never met you before. We heard your song. We wanted to meet with you. And within an hour, we decided to build an entire show around you. There was something about your energy. There was something about you that we spent all of these years, all of these resources, all of this money to try to do something with you. And it didn't work. But you need to believe that there was some reason why you even could be on the level to have that be a quote unquote failure. Like there's a certain level you have to be on to even make that kind of mistake because you're smart enough that you were even like to be yelled at by the president of the United States <laughs> on some level, it's a compliment, right? It's right, like right. the fact that you're even around in the Oval Office and somebody yells at you, it means you're working on some level. You're there. You're a congressman. You're a reporter who's cool enough that you're in. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. like, it's how you look at it. And I remember looking at that and I was like, she's right. I'm not going to gloom doom. I'm, I called her. She told me basically what I just said, like, pick yourself up. There's a reason that we believed in you. You're going to figure out what that is, what your work is. And I was frustrated because sometimes we just want it so fast. I just wanted it to be 
so immediate. And we forget that like, you're not born Mozart, like things take time. You have to keep trying things and, and moving the kaleidoscope. And then, and then things do start to crack into what they're supposed to be. But we have to be willing to give ourselves just some grace and say to ourselves like, Serena Williams, she wasn't born winning the Olympics. Like these things take the time that they take. And I think we have to love ourselves enough to not give up on ourselves. When Seth Godin was on the podcast, he said that he wrote a book called The Dip. And he said, there's so many people who they hit those sort of blocks in the road and they give up. And he said, if you can anticipate that that's going to happen and then stay in it on the other side of that dip, that's where scarcity lies. And that's where you're going to start to solve problems and create things and do things because everybody else stopped running. Everyone's else out of the race, you know? So that was one time, but there's been lots of times like that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Going back to that idea of like, it's the snapshot that you're taking. I think sometimes we can also get into thinking, okay, here's a snapshot, which sort of puts me in this mode of like, quote unquote, I made it. For example, Serena Williams, she wasn't born having won the Olympics. Well, the Olympics was not the end of the story either. Like there's more after that, you know? So it's like being able to like go for something and believe in something and have a faith that like it's all working for you and that there's no end point and knowing that it's like constantly evolving. So how then did you decide okay, a podcast is the next evolution. A podcast is going to be something that I really want to do. It sounds like somebody in your community who had taken your courses was like, you need to talk to adults. But like that wasn't in your particular vertical. So how did you decide that don't keep your day job was going to be it? So that's the thing is like, I didn't know that it was going to be it. And I'm a big believer in just trying things before you're ready. Like, I don't believe you should start after you're ready. I think you should just start and just try stuff. Like you're always in beta anyway, and you may as well just start and then see what happens. So you throw spaghetti at the wall and you're like, that sticks, that doesn't stick. Okay, I'm going to go this way or that way. And so I think the fact that like, I've always been willing to tolerate being a little uncomfortable. It takes courage to put yourself out there and not have it all perfectly for sure. But what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You're going to learn from it or you're going to change direction. So I didn't know it was going to be it, but I was willing to try it. It didn't seem like the highest cost to entry to record episodes or reach out to people. And it felt like something I really wanted to do. And I think that's how you know. I think if something feels like it's going to bring you joy, do it. If something feels like it's not in alignment with what you really are about, don't do it. So if it is, keep expanding it. And I have seen in my life how the more things I create, that's how my business grows as opposed to waiting for things to happen to me. Creating music changed my life. Creating an agency changed my life. Creating a a course for songwriters and just creating it changed my life. So I'm always in the habit of like, what else can I create? What else can I offer? What else can I do? And then to see what doors open. So I tried the podcast and pretty quickly, quicker than I thought, it really took off. And that was, I guess, an indication that I was in alignment doing something that was right for me. But I didn't know for sure that was going to happen. But it was cool. And it led me to a book deal. And it led me to a whole bunch of new experiences, which has been really cool and getting to meet lots of neat people for the show. What has that experience been like for you on your podcast? Because you have have had some very well-known people on your show and you get to have these really great conversations. Like you're really having awesome, in-depth, not formulated conversations on your podcast. So what has been one of the most exciting things for you about those relationships? 
Oh my God. I mean, it's just so surreal sometimes. Like I'm interviewing a few weeks ago, I was interviewing Jenna Fisher from The Office. You know, she plays Pam on The Office and I've interviewed Bobby Brown, whose makeup I've been buying for years and Jonathan Adler, whose stores I've walked into. I have like one Jonathan Adler piece in my house. Emily Giffen, whose books I've been reading since I was 20, Something Blue, Something Borrowed. It's been just just been crazy like to talk to these creative entrepreneurs and it's so satiating it's so rewarding to like i basically get to have this masterclass this private masterclass i get to ask them anything i want to ask them and then we i get to share it with all these people and it's riveting i mean it's so rewarding to have these conversations with smart successful people who are really down to earth because they really have nothing to prove anymore they've arrived so they have no reason not to be grateful and lovely and gracious and just to see what the patterns are with all these people has been and just really cool to step back and see, oh, wow, these same six or seven things are true for all of these people. I had Jen Sincero on recently who wrote You Are a Badass and hearing her story about how she was 40, living in a garage, you know, she was eating canned food and she turned that around. It's all the same strategies. And that to me is... It's fascinating to see that like through line. Like There are certain behaviors and thoughts that successful people have and do, period. End of story. That to me is fascinating. How have you ingested all of that? And how have you allowed that to then live on in how you show up to your life and your business every day? Oh my God. It really has up-leveled everything. You know, every, I feel like at every level, I can see the next possible level and I expand my view of like what's possible. And that alone, just when that viewfinder gets expanded, then it's sort of like I wind up making that true just by seeing it. Like it's if if I can see what's possible, as soon as I can see what's possible, I wind up creating it. And so by having these people around me and hearing them so simply talk about doing work that they love on such a giant level and owning it, not apologizing for the fact that like, oh, I'm going to... Like I had the woman who started Jimmy Choo on the podcast. She wasn't saying like, oh, is there room for me? Will there be room for another shoe that's this high? And am I going to make money? Is that, you know, just owning it. Take your seat at the table. Stop apologizing. Doing your craft, whatever it is, from pottery to lipstick to writing. Owning your craft and seeing people saying, I absolutely believe 100% that this is a possibility or else I wouldn't, I wouldn't put all this time into it. It makes you be like, whoa, you're so confident that it's possible that you could make a billion dollars from baking cookies. That's <laughs> ridiculously awesome. And it is true. And what you find out is there is so much room. There is so much room for somebody to start a new podcast, for somebody to make a new chain of coffee stores, for somebody to make some jewelry. There is so much room. You are the thing holding yourself back. If you don't believe there is, you won't take the action. If you don't feel strong enough or you overthink your idea, you don't put it out there, it's never going to happen, right? And so we have to be the engine. We have to believe in it. And we have to be willing to put it out there in a major way. And so it is so exciting. And so yeah, it's changed my life. I mean, from that point on, I've created even more in my business. I expanded my team from... I had one person working for me before the podcast. Now there's five people working for me. We're creating multiple things at all times. It's like the podcast is just one thing. And then we're creating courses and a membership group. And then I'm continuing to add to who's going to be the next guest. That's like my pick of the week, my bucket list guests and writing my book and trying to figure out like, where is this really going? What do I really want to say? And now that I can see, I can direct it in so many ways. You know, How do I want to do that in the most meaningful way that's most in alignment and make the biggest impact? 
So that's it's so exciting, right? To like ask those questions. I love that. We've talked a lot about staying in alignment and kind of knowing, having the faith that things are sort of always evolving, right? And just sort of knowing and surrendering to that and also proactively creating that and envisioning that. What practices do you have to listen to yourself to make sure that you are staying in alignment, especially in a season like this where there's a lot of stuff happening? Well, I feel like there's always a lot of stuff happening in every season. (laughs) But like you've got three little ones. You've got all this great stuff going on. You've got the agency, the course, you've got your own music, you've got the podcast, all the new things that are happening from that. What practices do you have that allow you to stay centered and keep hearing your true self? Yeah, that was a really great question. I mean, I think that there are several things that help. I still am creative. I'm still writing music. I recently wrote a theme song. Some moms on the podcast might have heard because it's on Netflix. It's a show called Llama Llama. I wrote the theme and sang it. And I'm still writing music. I just had a song about in a Walmart ad. And the reason I say that is because being creative for me gets me in touch with who I am, my essential self. It's like if you're somebody who loves to journal, I heard recently that Liz Gilbert, Eat, Pray, Love was actually like her journal. That's how she was healing through her divorce and finding her own truth and clarity was just by writing it out and it eventually became a book. But I think being creative awakens that feeling of like, this is me. Oh yeah, this is me. Whether you're arranging flowers or you're picking out you know drapes for your living room or for me, it's writing music. So that is helpful. I also spend time trying to be mindful and I spent a lot of years in meditation classes and I still take meditation classes and I actually do a breathwork class, which is incredibly powerful breath work. Just being in a room with an amazing teacher who is telling you, breathe it out. You're here. Come, you, you, you got here anyway. Do the work. We forget to breathe from our diaphragm. Really breathe. And when you really breathe in and you really breathe out, not only does it sort of light up the sympathetic nervous system, which like helps you regulate, but there's so much in there that just needs to be released. And without even thinking, you just sort of get these epiphanies like, oh, I really do feel that or I really do want that or whatever. So that's interesting. And as I'm going through my day, I will notice when I get sort of caught up in the blizzard of thoughts. And I'll just say to myself, come back, you know, come back to the very whole, still, peaceful, interconnected self that is really always okay. And by saying come back, I get a lot of wisdom there just by like, going back to that place, getting out of the big swirl of thoughts. And then the third thing is trying stuff, keeping myself in the habit of trying and trying because that's when I find out, oh, that so didn't feel like me. Oh, that actually feels like me more. Okay, cool. So trying stuff, meditating, being mindful and being creative. That's what I do. I love it. Kathy, this has been such an awesome conversation. I want to thank you so much for spending your time with me. This is so great. And this is the juice that I love talking about. This is a stuff that I I use the excuse of business in order to talk about this. And that's the manner in which I get to talk about it. And I love it because I think that this is the stuff, this spiritual journey of our lives, this personal journey, like all of this, like really discovering why we're here. It's a constant evolution. And I just really sincerely appreciate you talking so openly about it. Oh, you're so sweet. Yeah, I, I believe that the opposite of depression is purpose. And I think that that's what I've seen firsthand. I think everybody's really searching for that meaning and you're doing such great work by really kind of knowing deep down that's really what it's all about. That's really, it's not just about a job. It's about your life's work. 
It's about something that feels like you're contributing, something bigger than yourself. And I think that people feel like they're not good enough. And there's so many amazing ideas and talents and gifts that never see the light of day because people overthink them. So I think you and I are both on that mission to get people out of that feeling stuck and get people into emotion. I love it. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode. I never take it for granted that you, a very busy and high performing woman entrepreneur, listens to the Biz Women Rock podcast. If you got any value out of today's show, if there were any aha moments that you had, I would so appreciate you turning around and sharing it with another woman entrepreneur who needs that aha as well. From me and the entire Biz Women Rock team, we'll see you on the next episode.